I'm going to make a guess and say that most of us are probably not fans of test-taking. Now, maybe there's some of you that like taking a test, but most of us probably aren't fans of taking tests on a regular basis. There was a student who signed up for a class in college in ornithology, which is the study of birds. As he prepared for the final exam, he knew that the professor had the reputation of giving very difficult final exams, and so he studied everything he could think of for this last test, but nothing he studied could have prepared him for the exam that he was given. In the final exam, there were no essay questions to answer. There were no multiple choice questions to choose from. There were no true or false questions on the exam. Instead, there were just 25 pictures scattered around the room with a number on each one of those pictures. And every student in the class was given a sheet of paper with 1 through 25 on it. The pictures hanging in the room were all pictures of birds' legs or feet, but nothing else. No body, no beak, no wings, no other markings on the bird, but just their legs and feet. The exam was to identify all 25 species of birds by looking at those pictures. For this college student, he couldn't believe what he saw. This is not what he expected on the exam. I didn't study birds' legs or feet, he said to the professor, but the professor was unsympathetic to his protest, and he said, this is the exam. In order to pass the class, you have to take the exam. So the student walked around the class a little bit, looking at some of the pictures, but very quickly realized that he didn't have a clue what any of them were. He walked up to the desk of the professor, laid a sheet of paper on there, and said, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. It's completely unfair. The professor responded, all right, you get an F in the class, but before you walk out of the class, tell me your name. At that, the professor sat, or the student sat down, took off his shoes and socks, rolled his pants leg up to his knees, (laughs) pointed to his legs and said, you tell me. Tests, they're not always so easy, are they? And maybe there are few tests that we might ever take that could be as difficult as the one we hear about in Genesis 22 today. And without question, that's exactly what it was. It was a test. In fact, that's what we read in the very first uh, line of it. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. As we read this, we know that it's a test, but Abraham didn't know that it was a test. And actually, the Hebrew word that we translate test can also be translated to prove. You see, God really did know what was in the heart of Abraham. He knew that he believed, but God wanted to prove, not so much to God, but God wanted Abraham to prove it to himself that he believed in this relationship with God. So God tested him. Our reading began with God calling out to Abraham, 
But if you've been reading the last 10 or 11 chapters before this, then you know that this is not the first time that Abraham heard God's voice. God called to him at one point to leave his homeland, his family, his country, and everything he was familiar with and go to a place that God would later show him. That same voice told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That same voice told Abraham that he and God would be in a covenant relationship with one another and that the sign of that covenant relationship was circumcision. And maybe at that point Abraham had wished that maybe the sign was a secret handshake, but rather than something so painful, but the sign nevertheless was circumcision. That same voice reminded Abraham that at the combined age of 190 years old, he and Sarah would indeed have the son that God promised them. At every turn, God is calling Abraham. God, Abraham is hearing God's voice, and he responds. And here it is once again. Abraham hears God's voice, and this time God says, Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Now we know this is a test, but Abraham didn't know that. If you are at all familiar with Abraham's life as it's unfolded in the book of Genesis, then you might be inclined to think that Abraham seemed to be a man of unwavering faith, and in many ways he was. But he didn't always demonstrate that. In fact, Abraham was probably a lot more like most of us than what we realize. For instance, remember that it wasn't once, it was twice that earlier on Abraham passed off his wife Sarah as his sister. Remember that story? I don't know how he got away with that once, let alone twice. Also, Abraham began to doubt whether he and Sarah would ever have a son, and because of his impatience, then he ends up sleeping with his wife's servant, Hagar, and she becomes pregnant. The reality is that as you look at the life of Abraham, he's not always a paragon of faith. But neither are we. And so God did something here to try to prove his faith. He trust tested him. And what Abraham was asked to do is way beyond comprehension on every level for any of us here. But God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. How do you respond to something like that? Well, verse 3 of this story tells us that Abraham got up the next morning and, and he heads out with Isaac to do exactly what God said for him to do. And for three days, Abraham and Isaac walked side by side with each other, Abraham fully knowing what God had asked him to do. After the third day, they get to a place where Abraham tells the servants to, to stay behind while he and Isaac walk a little further. Before they do that, Abraham takes the wood that had been brought for that burnt offering and he places it on, on Isaac's back. And they continue on, and as they walk, Isaac innocently asks the question, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the, the, the lamb for the sacrifice? 
And at that question, Abraham, the only thing he could say back to his son was, the Lord will provide. And so when they get to that spot, Abraham builds an altar, takes the wood off of Isaac's back, he places it on the altar, then he picks up his son and he lays his son on the wood on that altar. And, and at that point we see, at that point, it, it's not just at this moment, but it's at this point and all the way along the way we see that Abraham indeed believed that no matter what God would provide. Beyond understanding, beyond reason, beyond all comprehension, God would provide. No wonder he called that place, the Lord will provide. In fact, if you go back a little earlier in the story, when they came to that spot after walking for three days, and Abraham told the servants to stay there, he said, we will go and worship, and we will come back. He didn't say, we will go and worship and I will come back. He said, we will go and worship and we will come back. Abraham believed that the Lord would provide. Why? Because that's who God is. And there, off to the side, they saw that there was a ram caught in the thicket with its horns. And the result of this test was that not only did Abraham show God, but maybe even more so, Abraham showed himself that he did believe and that he could trust in God. And that's why God responded back by saying, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. This is an incredibly bizarre story. And I can't tell you how many times I have read the story or heard the story or thought about the story that I didn't think about the fact that I have two sons myself and I can't begin to imagine what Abraham was asked to do here. And yet, our faith is tested in life, isn't it? As we live in a culture that tries to rationalize just about anything and everything by trying to say to us that everything is acceptable and we all just need to get on board with it, the test is, will you still hold on to what God says even when what he says is countercultural? We know that when we pray... Sometimes our prayers go unanswered, at least initially. And so we pray again and again and again, and the test is, will we hold on to the promise that God does answer us somehow, some way, sometime, in some manner, beyond what we might want? Sometimes things happen that do test our faith, and when they do, how do we respond to them? I think if we're honest, we would say that probably more often than not that we have not done all that well holding on to God's promises and holding on to trust in Him. And maybe that's why the real heart of this story 
is actually intended to point us to another sacrifice that took place, and it's that sacrifice that really is what brings change to our life. In fact, look at some of the connections between the story about the sacrifice of Isaac in the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Jesus in the New Testament. For instance, the place of the sacrifice here for Isaac is a place called Mount Moriah, which is essentially the very same place that is referred to as Mount Calvary or Golgotha in the New Testament where Jesus was sacrificed. We hear in the story that God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And it's those very same words that God the Father used to speak about Jesus in the baptism that we heard about this morning and in his transfiguration, this is my son whom I love. At one point in this reading, Isaac is referred to as a boy twice. But the Hebrew word that's used here accurately is best translated as a, as a person who is an age of a young man. Some have suggested that Isaac was about the age that Jesus was when Jesus was sacrificed. When Abraham and Isaac climb that mountain and get to the place of sacrifice, we read in verse 4, On that third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in a distance. After the death of Christ, it was on the third day that he returned back to life. Abraham and Isaac walk towards that place of sacrifice. Isaac is carrying the wood for the burnt offering on his back, much like Jesus carried the wood that he was sacrificed on on his back. And as they make their way up that mountain, Isaac asks his father, the fire, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? The question is asked in the Old Testament, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And it was in the New Testament that John the Baptist looked to Jesus one day and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In more ways than one, the sacrifice of Isaac is a prophetic illustration to us about the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that the Apostle Paul says, He who did not spare... He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul confirms that the Lord does provide. I think we can actually say that all of Scripture, all of Scripture points to the fact that God withheld nothing. He literally withheld nothing, not even his own son, to save your life and mine. God sacrificed what was most precious to him, Jesus, for you who are even more precious to him. Why? Because God would stop at absolutely nothing to let you know how much he loves you. And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes God gives us opportunities. Maybe we can call them tests. But sometimes God gives to us opportunities for us to show our love 
to him. I would imagine you would agree with me. I cannot begin to wrap my head around the fact of what Abraham must have been thinking after God asked him to offer his son as a sacrifice. But I also can't wrap my head around what our Heavenly Father was thinking when he willingly offered his son as a sacrifice. An innocent man, the Son of God, Jesus, dying for guilty people like us? In both situations, God demonstrated He will provide. And because He does, because He did, and because He will, you don't ever have to wonder. You don't ever have to wonder in your life about God's love for you. He's provided it in Jesus. Amen.